Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptor Show. And today I'm joined by John Vallis. He is the host of the Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast. He is a deep thinker. He's an educator. He's, he reads a lot, of, a lot of literature, helping other people discover that literature. Um, I'm excited to have this conversation today. John, thanks so much for joining. Mark, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to this. So, uh, yeah, I know you put out a lot of content, and uh, for those paying attention, they, they, they start to kind of get an idea of your viewpoints and whatnot. But for those of, that are new to you at this point, um, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on, um, you know, kind of what you're focusing on and what you're doing? Sure. Um, very briefly, I started my career in wealth management. I, I lived in China for a decade in Shanghai and Beijing and uh, really did not enjoy the incentives there, you know, was very, the, the how the the legacy system had degraded and decayed and kind of broken was very apparent to me. And I had always been, you know, kind of unsettled by the state of the world. It looked to be going in the wrong direction to me and, and being in the belly of the beast, as it were, you know, just kind of proved that out to me even more. Hey guys, let me just interrupt this interview real quick just to plug the show sponsor, and that is BlockFi. Now, BlockFi is doing amazing things in the Bitcoin finance space. As a matter of fact, they've cracked some really big news by bringing on the ex-CFTC um, chair, Chris Giancarlo, um, and they are one of the most transparent, most heavily regulated um, companies inside the United States, which gives me a lot of trust um, into what their services are. Now, I've recently did a video talking about how to retire off of Bitcoin. And you can do that by leveraging debt and interest against Bitcoin. And BlockFi is the the number one company in the United States or maybe in the world to go to and use. Um, they are leading the charge. They're paying interest on your Bitcoin if you park it with them, or you can borrow against it. Now, as I broke down in that video, you can borrow against your Bitcoin. And when you take debt against it, it's not taxable. It's not a taxable event. You can use that debt for anything that you want, including to live off of, to leverage up and buy more, or roll it into another asset. Um, you can do something like I've done recently, like sell some real estate, put that money into Bitcoin, now, as that Bitcoin price has risen, I'm able to borrow against it and go back and buy the same real estate or something similar. And I still own the Bitcoin and I also own the new asset as well. Lots of ways you can do this. Um, and BlockFi is the company that I recommend. Down in the description, I have a link that you can click on. If you choose to use that link, you can earn up to $250 in Bitcoin just for using that link. So check out BlockFi now. And so, you know, I wandered for a while, tried to learn, tried to figure out, you know, you know, what could resolve the world's issues. And then, you know, around 13, 14, I came across Bitcoin, started going down the rabbit hole, uh, touched it a few times before it really clicked. And then, you know, like many of us, uh, it's been a never ending journey ever since. And, and conviction and interest just continues to increase as I learn more about both Bitcoin and all the different things that it touches and the implications that it's going to have on society. And so, you know, my focus these days is not so much building the case for Bitcoin and discussing, you know, where it sits in the economic and financial paradigm of the world and investing, all that is really interesting. And I think, you know, um, there's a lot of great commentators, including yourself that, that really delve into those topics. And I really appreciate your insights. As we were discussing before we fired this up, my main interest is looking at what are going to be the implications of having this form of money emerge on the world. What are the characteristics of the parallel system that is emerging as, you know, that that is the Bitcoin uh, culture, let's say, and uh, how it's changing people? You know, that's that's my big thing is nothing matters unless it changes behavior. Right. That's why things are interesting. That's why right. things are important. That's why tools 
are relevant and useful because they allow a certain form of novel behavior that, or they improve upon a behavior that was, you know, uh, that existed before. And so for me, the, the interesting question is, is what does this thing mean for changes in human behavior and interaction? And I think if you're in the Bitcoin quote unquote community, if you're mixing it up on Twitter, if you're paying attention, you're starting to notice that a unique culture is emerging uh, with certain principles and certain values and certain forms of communication and certain ideas and certain methods of interacting. And that's what I really like delving into. And uh, it's, it's been a, a real honor and a privilege to be able to do so. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is awesome. And I want to dig into that. Um, uh, we'll, we'll position that towards the end. I want to, I want to, I want to start by kind of setting the stage a little bit kind of for where we're at right now. And then uh, really I want to kind of dive into, um, you know, more actionable stuff. Like we can set up the stage with some of the problems that we see and maybe some underlying reasons, and then we'll dig into maybe some actionable stuff. And, and we'll talk about this parallel system that's being built as, as you said, this whole culture of people is kind of congregating and doing real things that I, that I think brings a lot of hope if people were to learn about that. But um, if we start kind of at the beginning, um, or, or I should say present day, um, obviously the world is in a state of, uh, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, disrepair. I mean, people, everybody knows there's something going wrong and it seems like tensions are boiling high um, all across the world. I know you're in, you know, we're in different countries, but we're all still seeing the same things. Um, kind of give us a, I mean, I, I guess you've studied a lot of like history, right? So a lot of these books and they've kind of foretold a lot of it, but now we seem to be learning some of these same lessons that our forefathers warned us about. So what, what do you think is happening right now in the world that maybe could have been avoided or we were warned about that, that we're, that we're all staring at right now? <laughs> well, that's a $64 million question, isn't it? But, you but know, I think down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they say history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And that I think is one of the reasons why we continue to make the same mistakes, because the circumstances of history are always different. The players, the times, all that kind of stuff. But the let's say the psychological processes that underpin the thinking and the decision making are, all, you know, are very similar, you know, so and I know some people will find this extreme, but lately I've been digging, digging into 1930s Germany, right? Because I, I, I wanted to see, or I want to try to understand better what psychological processes, what assumptions, what biases, what, you know, what was going on in the cultural zeitgeist at the time that allowed that circumstance to unfold the way that it did. Right. Because I reject the, the simplistic explanation that either everyone was scared out of their boots and they just acquiesced to, you know, a tyrannical leader or that they were, you know, somehow corrupted and they were all evil and they were uniquely evil, for example. And that couldn't happen to other people because, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, the fact is, is that we're all human beings. Right. And so the behavior of any one human being exists and is, is every human being is capable of the same behavior. Yep. The question is, is what circumstances draw that out? What, what psychological processes allow that to occur? Right. And, um, you know, so the, the times we're in right now are really concerning for me because um, I see a lot of delusion in the world. I see a lot of dishonesty. I see a lot of, I see this, the strength of ideology in the world. I see the corrupting effect of the cultural zeitgeist that causes people not to see things clearly and, and not even want to see things clearly. So, you know, that's all extremely concerning. And what I think is different this time, you know, to be honest, and to bring it back to Bitcoin is that Bitcoin, I think is 
a genuinely unique thing or element that that we can interact with that really changes um, some of the changes that the dynamic in a way that might allow us to not make the same mistakes that we've made in the past. Now, you know, will it will it catch on quick enough? Will enough people get it? And are we correct in our assumption about what it is? But, you know, I, I don't have to explain to you, but just, you know, for your audience, the corruption of the money has been one of the the repeating uh, problems throughout history, you know, yeah. whether we're talking about Roman times or whether we're talking about the modern nation state. And of course, the regime that we're under globally right now since 1971, the powers that be, whoever they are. And, and to be honest, I think most of the time, well-intended, you know, I, I don't ascribe so easily to, you know, the notion that we have evil overlords that are, you know, intentionally enslaving us. I think a lot of the time it's incompetence and ignorance, not malice. But nevertheless, the process that unfolds is that the money is corrupted and we lose a tether to any sense of reality and at, mm. in, a, in the creation of our money. Yeah. And as a result, a world of illusion emerges on top of that. Yeah. And it's, it's almost you know, poetically correct that if, you, if the, the value underpinning the society is an illusion, is created out of nothing, then why would you expect the perception of the society at large to be anything different? Yeah. yeah. And that's, um, yeah, go ahead. That, that's, a, that, that's a lot of good stuff. I want to unpack some of that stuff for, for just a minute. So um, a couple of things that you said, and, and I think it's important for everyone to pay attention to is that, you know, a lot of times people want to just focus on the money and like, Mark, I just subscribed to you just to hear about money and economics and what the Fed's doing. But like all of this is intertwined, right? So you, you have to understand like, you know, human, you know, humanity, as you said, like humans are somewhat predictable. Um, you know, we have, we all have human nature. Uh, basically humans are motivated by two things, right? Uh, moving towards pleasure, moving away from pain. Um, and so we're kind of like on this bumper ride, like moving between that. Um, so you have to kind of understand human nature. You have to understand societal stuff um, to, to really get that. And, and uh, kind of what you were talking about, I think if I have this right, but if you look at, um, you were looking at 1930s Germany, and obviously, that was a time of great term, turmoil that led to the whole world going into a war. Um, it was almost like uh, society is always like a push-pull, right? Like when it's a cause and then effect. So like when this type of an environment happens, then this is kind of the outcome. So I guess, are you seeing, when you're back in the 1930s, are you seeing like these certain factors uh, were apparent in the world or in Germany at that time, which was then led to that outcome. And then maybe we see those same type of factors setting up today that could potentially lead to the same type of outcome. The, the, the simple answer is yes. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to understand all the different variables that went into the psychology of your middle-class German citizen in the early sure. 1930s. But broadly speaking, what I, I, I think is happening is that people are being led astray by ideology and there's not enough of a commitment to developing a perception based on clarity and truth, right? right? There's not enough uh, dedication to that. And if there isn't, I think it's easy to be led astray by fear, by ideology, by a charismatic leader, by the, uh, you know, by the different delusions that emerge as a result of how government spends money, creates money, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So, yeah. I, you know, broadly speaking, one of the thing that troubles me the most and the thing that I, I guess I try to articulate is uh, 
don't, you know, make up your own mind. Criti your own critical thinking is of the utmost important here and never stop refining your perspective because right. that's what, that's how we give away our freedom far before we're locked into a cage or a country or what have you is we, we delegate uh, our perception to somebody else. We allow somebody else to construct it for us. And there's many reasons for that. And there's, there's reasons of incentive and in fear and that, those kind of things. But I think if, we need to get back to a place where we trust ourselves more than anybody. And if you're going to trust yourself, you have to put in the work. You yeah. have to educate yourself. And, you know, again, in today's society, most people rely on outside sources uh, for their education. I mean, right. most people take the nightly news and they read maybe the newspaper and a couple of people that they follow online and they feel like they've got a grasp on, on what's going on in the world. Yeah. And um, I also think there's, we're so deep into the, let's say, late stage fiat, big government dynamic um, that it seems so natural and normal to people. And again, you could you could probably easily make a parallel to 1930s Germany that things, the status quo is very intoxicating. It, it can feel normal, like you emerge in a world and you think, well, it's always kind of been this way. So this is the way that it should be. Normalcy bias. Exactly. These yeah. are the, the defenders of the status quo. This is basically the crux of their argument. Whereas I think we would come from the perspective of looking at things from first principles and saying, is this the way things should be? What is yeah. wrong here? And what is wrong based on perhaps moral principles? What is wrong based on, you know, uh, previous outcomes in the past that we can glean insights from and apply them yeah. to what's happening currently? Um, and there just seems to be not enough of that going on. And I think that's partially why we're, we're going down the wrong road in many cases. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, you know, you, you, we're, we're talking about kind of this education and people are deferring their education or relying on, relying on so-called experts today rather than trying to figure things out for themselves. And um, it's interesting, right? It starts with uh, consuming information and then thinking through that. And then your thinking changes your actions. You had talked earlier about, right, we have to change actions. Um, but, but, you know, it's interesting if we look back through history, we can see that uh, many times, let's say, you know, before the separation of church and state, right, the, the church was the state for so long, and the people didn't have the information, they didn't have the Bible. So they relied on the church to tell them what the Bible said, and they just, whatever the church says, that's what the Bible says, right? But once that was de decentralized, and everybody had it, they could all read it for themselves. And it was that education process that freed them. I think we could see again, um, the Roman Empire, 700 years of, you know, an amazing republic, and it fell, we went to the Dark Ages, they lost all the education. And then the Renaissance, people got the information again, and boom. Um, and, I'm, and we might almost see the same thing happening today, to your point, where all these people don't want to educate themselves. Um, but maybe that tide is changing. Maybe, as you said, there's a whole group of people that are, are starting to pull out those old books, dust them off. Maybe there's another Renaissance coming from that education. Yeah, what do you think? undeniably you know yeah. that the the internet and you know again this show my show all the amazing content coming out is is at least creating a a, a free market in information yeah the incumbents still have a lot of influence there's you know a lot of ingrained behavior and and network effects of that kind of stuff but i think that is changing and the reason why bitcoin is so uh useful in that regard is because you know some people may not be that compelled to learn or enhance their perspective for just for that reason but when there's greed involved when there's money yeah. involved people are <laughs> yep. far there's a str far stronger pull and so what i find interesting about what's happening in bitcoin 
is a lot of people may come for the gains, right? Come for your portfolio diversification, come for yeah. your inflation resistance, whatever. But you wind up in this community that is really has a, a, a tremendous appetite for learning about yeah. all the different ways that this thing is relevant and meaningful. And so, yes, that means in the economic, financial and investing realm, but it also means in the social, it also means in the historical, it also means in the psychological, it also means in the philosophical and even the spiritual. Yeah. And we're still figuring out what all that means. But the point is, is that these people are, it's kind of a revivification of their intellectual curiosity where mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, you get put through the meat grinder of, of, you know, formal education, you know, you come out of your K-12 school, you go into university, a path is kind of set for you, you put your blinders on, you work, you try to enhance your, your life and achieve the things you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And your, your intellectual curiosity gets dialed down dramatically because you have to focus. I think what Bitcoin is doing is, is turning that back up. And because it's, it's kind of proposing to people like, hey, there's a new world emerging here. There's a new paradigm emerging here. And it's going to change a lot of things very radically. And, you know, it behooves you to learn about what's going on and what those changes might be. And also, hey, look, I think at least from my perspective and a lot of the people I speak to, it reminds you how fun it is to learn about something that's both interesting yeah. and meaningful, right? It's not a just an intellectual, yeah. you know, uh, exercise. It's actually yeah. relevant learning. And that's a... That's a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a great point that you just brought up. And I think, um, you know, if you look at uh, like an art, so martial arts or painting or any type of art, it's really like it's a lifelong journey, right? You don't ever achieve that, the pinnacle of that. And uh, if anybody's done a sport or a martial art or even just working out or whatever, like uh, you love those gains, like, oh, I learned this new move. I can't wait to try it again. And, and there's fulfillment in like, getting better at that craft. And I think education could be the same way. Like um, you take that red pill and uh, all of a sudden you have this new world and now there's this curiosity. And each time you learn something, you realize how much more there is to learn. And so maybe it's kind of like that flywheel. I like that. Um, now you said something earlier that you said, uh, you know, you don't know how there's a the world of illusion. Um, you don't know how much was uh, well-intended versus evil. Uh, I'm curious, you know, it seems like it seems like I would agree with that. Uh, we have generations now that have been taught wrong information. And so I guess they're just naive or they're ignorant or whatever. However, if we go back, we could almost see that there was like a, a, a intentional takeover of the education system to change it. So maybe it was like intended, uh, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And now today it's just uh, what people thinking they're doing well intentions. Yeah, I mean, I think there's almost always agendas, right? But I, I think very, very few people consider themselves to be evil, right? I guess, and sure, it's a, it's a matter of where you stand. It's a matter of perspective, right? Sure. One person executing on their agenda and their incentives might be construed as opposing the incentives and the agenda of another person. And maybe they characterize that as evil. Right. But is that like outright evil, like a desire to do ill in the world? Probably not. Um, although you could make a case that it's always subjective. But my point is just that I think most people are uh, playing to their incentives and doing what they think is best for themselves. And maybe there is often not enough consideration for the greater good or the people that those actions might impact. You know, that's definitely the case, yeah. especially in the current regime, money regime that we exist in today. But um, the point for me is, it doesn't matter. Like if you're the, a type of conspiracy type, 
like, I don't think you're ever going to be able to, to discern the truth, right? You, you might have clues of what's going on or whose agenda, what agenda might be operating. But I just don't think that stuff can ever be discerned with any degree of certainty. And I don't think it matters, right? Like, I think whether it's some grand conspiracy to enslave you or whether it's a, a, an issue right at the basis of the system that creates all these bad incentives that allows people to take advantage of them everywhere, all the way up the ladder. Yeah. I don't think it matters in terms of what solution is best, right? Yeah. So as we were discussing before we came on, to me, Bitcoin is the greatest force for positive change that the world has ever seen. And so I'm just going to lean into that as hard as I can, rather than trying to specifically identify the source of all the different problems. And I think it's good to be educated about uh, what's going wrong, because that can be a motivating force about how much you, you know, the energy you bring to finding a solution. So I think there's a, an element of identifying what's going wrong, but maybe not all the way into knowing exactly why that is. Because I think the, the most important thing is, is a solution available? Is a solution in front of you? If the answer is yes, then learn as much and engage as much as you can about and into that. And I think that's the way, the best way to resolve things. Yeah. I, I actually really like that. I agree with that. I think um, it's important. It's important to understand what the problem is because then we need to make sure we have the right cure for that, but we don't have to know, you know, we are where we are, right? We don't have to like, was it intentional? Was it conspiracy? It doesn't really matter. We are where we are and, and, and understand that situation and, and then make a plan for that. Um, that's why I've always really tried to focus my content on why, why is Bitcoin even important? And you have mm -hmm. to start to understand what those problems are in order to understand how Bitcoin can start to solve that. Um, so let's uh, let's transition into that a little bit. So um, we you know we are where we are, as we just said. Uh, we're in uh, we're in this world that has gone increasingly towards centralization and globalization and all those types of things. Um, We've also seen, I think the internet allowed, you know, the rise of centralization. So Google took over, right? K kids in first grade are starting with Google Chromebooks. Like that's all they know, right? And so, uh, you know, the, the internet has allowed that rise of centralization. But what we've also seen is that this manipulation, I like to say manipulation always leads to, uh, I'm sorry, centralization always leads to manipulation. And so Facebook's stealing the data and Wells Fargo's putting fake bank accounts on and the government's doing whatever, right? And so we've kind of got to this point where like all these institutions, maybe education, healthcare, finance, and media, I mean, they're corrupted. And that's, uh, there's, in my opinion, I don't think there's any going and saving that system. But as you're saying, we have a tool now um, to actually just allow us to go build this alternative system. Hey, sorry to interrupt this video just one more time. I'm not running Google ads, so it's actually way less interruption than I normally would have on a video. Um, and that's because it's sponsored by BlockFi. Um, they are opening up the world of Bitcoin and financial products, offering to pay you interest on your Bitcoin. Um, better than owning a rental property that you have to manage and control and have the risks. You can just earn interest on it or you can leverage against it. Now, I plan to hold my Bitcoin forever and literally never sell my Bitcoin. So how do you do that? Well, if I need money, I don't want to sell that Bitcoin. I'm going to pay tax on it. All right. I'm going to end up with less and I don't have the Bitcoin anymore. So a better way to do it is to borrow against the Bitcoin. So I've put all my money into Bitcoin. If I want to buy a car or I want to buy a house, I can borrow against it at very, very low competitive rates, get my house, get my car, whatever that may be, and get to keep the Bitcoin. Now, I've done a whole video on this. Uh, you can find it. I'll link it down in the description below how to retire off of Bitcoin without paying taxes. And you can do that with BlockFi services. Um, I'll, I'll link to the video down below. I'm also going to put a link to BlockFi. 
BlockFi. If you choose to click on that link to check them out, you can earn up to $250 in free Bitcoin just for using that link. And that's it. Let's go ahead and get back to the interview. And it's kind of like uh, like the the book Atlas Shrugged, or if you, if you watch the movie Atlas Shrugged, but all the people, all the productive people in society just were leaving to go create this new society. And uh, I think there's some parallels to that we're seeing today. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the points a couple minutes ago, we were talking about this kind of reinvigorating effect that Bitcoin is having. I think a huge part of that is also the hope element. You know, like I was saying, I when I was younger, in my early 20s, um, you know, I looked out at the world. I did my best to understand how it all worked. And I came away with a, a fairly despondent attitude because I was like, you know, there's of course, there's beauty in the world. And yeah. you can have a good time and all that kind of stuff. But large scale, things seem to be going, you know, very much in the wrong direction. I didn't see how that could be turned around. And so that's all the more reason why you put those blinders on. You just try to create, you know, the best life you can for yourself and kind of ignore everything else. Um, whereas Bitcoin, I think that one of the reasons why it's invigorated people is because it now has changed that perception of the future from not such a rosy picture to the rosiest that you know, you could ever imagine, you know, the Renaissance times a hundred or times a right. thousand. And so th- this just awakens so many things in us to that maybe were latent or that we didn't even know existed to learn and to engage and grow. And uh, as you say, I think a, a parallel system is emerging. And I think we're seeing the initial stages of that. And, and there's a couple elements of that. One is people are going where, you know, there's a there seems to be a greater respect for individual freedoms, right? Because this is, after all, I think, a, re- a revolution in individual sovereignty. Bitcoin allows you to be self-sovereign over your money. And right. once you have that experience of self-sovereignty over perhaps the most important thing over which you can, can have that, mm-hmm. I think you that gets juxtaposed to other areas of your life. And you say, well, this is such a great, empowering feeling of being sovereign over my money what would it feel like to be sovereign over my education? What would it right. feel, feel sovereignty over my, my living circumstances and my food right. supply and that kind of stuff? And I think people are going out and trying to develop those solutions. And I also think what's interesting, and I, I agree, I don't think there's going to be much changing the incumbent system. Uh, I think we're going to have to build something better. And what's, what I'm finding really interesting is that people with the orange colored glasses on, right? Big people that kind of took right. the orange pill and they're seeing the world through a, a very, in some cases, dramatically different lens of sound money, of self-sovereignty. They're looking at these things like education, like the food supply, you know, like whatever, whatever. And they're actually reimagining it through that lens. And right. it's really fascinating to see some of the solutions that are beginning to emerge as a result of that. And I don't think it's a shock. I don't think it's a surprise to many people because if we're being so critical of what's emerged as a result of using, you know, fiat money, let's say that the mindset that emerged from a society using that, then we should expect a fairly dramatic perception and mindset to emerge from a society that is predicated on a incorruptible sound money. Um, And, you know, one that, that uh, I spoke to some people on the podcast recently was this you know decentralized cattle uh, co-op where uh, these guys are reimagining uh, how to raise cattle and they're bringing together people who want to ranch investors and landowners and uh, you know getting ancient DNA very resilient cattle to both regenerate kind of a, a permaculture sort of idea where they're regenerating the land they're giving people the opportunity to be self-sufficient um, and it's 
you know, I, I won't explain it very well. Um, so I refer people to, to that podcast with, um, that I had recently. But the point is, is that people are seeing the world differently and they're developing different solutions. And we're just at the very beginning of that. And I'm super pumped to see, because one of the things people ask me a lot is, you know, I'm super into Bitcoin, but I'm a architect or I'm super into Bitcoin and I, you know, make chairs or whatever. And I want to be more involved in Bitcoin. And so, you know, up to this point, it's been like, well, you can start a Bitcoin company or you can be a podcaster or you can do not very many different things. And what I think is interesting that we're starting to see now is people are realizing that Bitcoin is money and money is, you know, money touches everything. And so whatever it is you do, I suspect that when you put on the Bitcoin lens, you'll see what you do differently and you'll see an opportunity to do what you do, but with a Bitcoin twist. And I think that's what we're starting to see. And that's what's going to be the impetus for creating this parallel economy that we've been referring to. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's a great way to put it. I, I kind of look at it like, a, imagine like a giant tree, like a giant oak tree. And it's got, you know, I don't know, thousands or tens of thousands of leaves on it. And like each leave is like representative to like a problem in society, right? Uh, the incarceration rate or the divorce rate or the homelessness rate or whatever it may be. And we can sit there and we can pluck each leaf and we can discuss it. But at the, at the base, at the root, it's the money. Right. So it's like that's the root of, of all those problems that we have. And if we you know, we, if we can fix the money, we can fix the world. Um, and so, um, as you said, I think it was a perfect right. You have that orange colored lens. And so you first take control of that money and it just changes the way that you look at the world. So it, it gives you a different time preference all of a sudden. Right now you can focus on the future instead of, you know, taking away some of that uncertainty of the of the near term. And um, what it's doing, kind of like back to the Atlas Shrugged, right? It's attracting this mind share uh, of of people that are pulled together on value. So, like society today is trying to break people into identities, uh, but like people don't people don't usually group on identities, right? They group on values, and so it's pulling this whole group of people that have this freedom loving, self sustaining. Um, self-reliant um, culture and now they're reimagining that world like that that uh, like that like that cattle company which is great uh, even even like education I know I mean you do you're doing like book clubs right so you're like pulling people together and like let's look at this book and let's study it let's discuss it and even that is is a different way of doing things it, now you're kind of taking on education yeah I mean this is what I love so much about this this whole phenomenon it's like it is about each and every one of us changing and and developing like we kind of end up having this idea at least some of us as we grow up like we kind of have a set image of ourselves you know how we fit into the world who we are that kind of thing yeah. and what i love about this is this is i think inspiring people to uh reopen that that door right and they kind of explore uh who they might be and and what they might be able to understand and the perspectives they might be able to inhabit and then to feed into a culture that values that and that is all about kind of enhancing that and a a genuine excitement about what it means that we we now have this thing that we can coalesce around that is inspiring us to develop and grow and allowing us the opportunity to feed into it to to kind of grow the whole so I, i think it's awesome and i think your point about how it's kind of a magnet bringing people in is is per, is amazing and i i think it's so great to see that something with the principles that you articulated you know something that is about freedom something that is about fairness something that is about personal responsibility something that is about in, independence like these are really good values and principles 
right? And to see this thing, you know, self-selecting to pluck out all those people around the world who are kind of on the front, the initial stages of embodying or feeling or, or valuing those things, all being pulled into Bitcoin to make this thing stronger, make this thing more robust, make this thing more dynamic. And as a result of doing that, they expand the surface area of what this thing is. So then the next cohort of people will be pulled in as well. You know, so it, it's, it's a, a, a brand new culture emerging around, I think, far better principles than the one we currently have. Yeah. And it has this magnet-like effect on picking out the people that are closest to those principles already and then further away and then further away and then further away as it expands and it gets bigger. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's a, a genuine paradigm shift and a genuine cultural phenomenon that's underway. Something else that's interesting, I think, is um, I, I think if you look at the United States, the founding of the United States, and really, I think, you know, what's made the United States great was, uh, was a belief in individualism. And um, it's the individual that should have the liberty and the freedom. And, and that then adds to the collective good. And so what do I mean by that? Well, um, you know, you and I were different people, and we look at the world differently. And that's a good thing, because I see different problems than you do. And so now I can go out and solve those problems, um, which you probably wouldn't have seen and you wouldn't have solved. And so if we're all, if we're all the same, if we're all, you know, in a collectivism, uh, we're, we're not solving all those needs. And then so I think layering onto what you've just said, uh, Bitcoin is attracting people who are about self-reliance, about self-responsibility that are into individualism. And so they've come together on a shared group of values, but because they're all individuals, um, it's this decentralized method of going out and seeing these problems, whether that be getting good meat on a sustainably raised land to people. Um, I've, I've seen people that are starting like little pods for schools, right? Everyone's being homeschooled today, or a lot of people are, uh, a lot of kids are. And so, you know, maybe a, a decentralized way to attack um, education. Obviously, finance is already being disrupted. Um, so we're seeing that. And so really, all these institutions are, are being broken down. Um, what about government, or maybe governance? What do you what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you touch upon something that I think is one of the conceits of both our times and times in the past when things have gone astray. And because people might hear the word individualism and they might disagree, but the fact is that there is nothing but individuals acting, right? Mm -hmm. To assume that there's collective action is a fallacy. It's a, a delusion. It's a bunch of individuals. They may be acting together, but it's still individuals acting. And I, I, I think that's in, in our current times, people for ideological reasons or otherwise uh, assume that that's not the case. They assume that there's like some sort of group uh, identity or action rather than individuals. Right. And as you say, like individuals acting and taking responsibility for their actions and then engaging with other individuals to achieve whatever ends they, they may have in mind, that's the point and that's the strength of individuals interacting on a voluntary basis in a free market. That's how you get the best outcomes. Yeah. But to misconstrue that relationship and assume that there are certain groups that are kind of destined for ideological reasons to act in a certain way, and that those ideologies should or could be imposed on others to get them to conform to act in a similar way, that is what ultimately leads into tyrannical relationships, right? Of right. imposing what you think is best on somebody else. And that's the, that's the problem. And I agree that you know, the, the founding of the U.S. and the founding documents of the U.S. were, were phenomenal 
ideas. And, you know, all things considered, they've held up fairly well. But, uh, you know, the problem is, is that we've never had something that can keep those ideas and the people that are meant to steward them in check. You know, how, how can we stave off the corruption of, of the individual? And I think this is where we get into kind of uh, esoteric territory with Bitcoin, because we can make rules and, and we can all agree to abide by them. But what do you do when people cheat? And what do you do when people cheat at scale? And what do you do when, when powerful people cheat? And, yeah. you know, there, there's answers to that, but there's no great answers to that. And I think that is why societies have kind of always degraded, uh, or, or at least they've, they've gone away from their founding principles because humans are corruptible. Right. And, and uh, if Bitcoin, I mean, the, 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 the proposition or the possibility here is that Bitcoin is somewhat of an incorruptible substance that will allow us to coordinate human interaction, not only in a better way than we've ever done before, but in a way that maybe cannot be corrupted. And I know that's a big statement and time will tell if it's accurate or not, but it, on the question of governance, um, I think most of the governance should be in the free market. And the, free, the, the fundamental, the most important piece of the free market is the rails on which it runs, and that is the money. So if the money can be incorruptible, and if it's fair and the rules are the same for everybody, then I think you get a market that is far, far less susceptible to corruption. And as a result of that, the voluntary interactions of the market participants will be, will, will be self-governing, let's say. That being said, Will human beings still want to come together um, for, you know, collective action that can't be facilitated by the market? Probably, but I'm not willing to, uh, you know, I'm not able to identify right now what that will look like when we have a global free market. Because in principle, I think that if you, if you want something and if enough people want it, then there's an opportunity there and the market will provide it. And absent an ability to corrupt that relationship, you should probably get it in the form that you're demanding it. So I don't think government or governance will go away entirely, but I think most of the governance will be a natural manifestation of a market based on incorruptible money. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, what typically what smart people would do is they would look for areas that had success and try to kind of reverse engineer that success leaves clues. I always say, so like, wow, this was very successful. What were the ingredients that made that successful? So we can see examples all over. I mean, Hong Kong was a good example of that. The United States was a great example of that. And uh, the, the way, what's interesting, the way the United States was founded was it was founded on a decentralized government. So they came from like this monarchy, which is the ultimate uh, centralized government. And they came and they created a republic where all the states were to be independent of each other. Um, in that type of a role, the president of the United States is really inconsequential. And like the president of the United States, nobody even really cares because they don't really have any power other than some foreign affairs. Um but that's trended to become more and more centralized. And so looking at where success, right? The United States had massive success um, for hundreds of years based off of that principle. Like I said, Hong Kong, we could look at Germany, uh, East and West. I mean, it's a perfect example, but um, I can see it's decentralized, you know, decentralizing more in smaller pockets of government. And I would say that, I mean, 330 million people in the United States is just way too many to be under one 
regime, right? Because they don't know that. But um, back to the point you were talking about and laying that found that foundation with Bitcoin. Um, I'm looking at it like um, if you if you you know Bitcoin's a lot of things, and that's why it's so difficult to understand. Um, there's been four technological revolutions in the last 250 years, and and not new technologies, but revolutions where it literally changed human life, right? So uh, we had the industrial revolution, bringing people out of farms into factories. That was a massive change. Uh, we had steam uh, steam engines and and steel. I mean, steel, that was massive on and on and on. Uh, we had automobiles, like people had walked for all of mankind and now they could ride. Um, and, and, uh, if you look at that every 50 years, basically is how that breaks down. The last one, 1971 was the invention of the microprocessor, which of course allows us to do what we're doing right now. 50 years from 1971 is right now today. And I think we're on another technological revolution, uh, with this decentralized technology, obviously the Bitcoin blockchain, um, which will change the way society works forever, um, just like the, the microprocessor did, just like the automobile did as well. And so um, a lot of times people try to say, oh, it's kind of like digital cash. I get that. Sure. It's like digital gold. OK, but uh, to your you know, the point we're both making, I guess, is that. Uh, moving towards this decentralization and we can see that setting up. And so whether that's decentralized government or whatever, but yeah, it's a, it's a technological revolution. I think human humanity is going to be forever changed off of that. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's really difficult to even, you know, even get catch a glimpse of, of what that means and what the implications are. I mean, we're, we're kind of in the eye of the storm of an exponential technology that's going to foster a complete paradigm shift. So we have this like tingling in our spine, like this is big, but it's so hard to see beyond the event horizon that you're just left with, you know, kind of contending with what it is now. And those kind of fleeting, you know, uh, images that emerge in your mind about what it might be in the future. And then, you know, we don't want to be led astray by our own ambitions or hopes or, or dreams. So we, we try to stay grounded into what is right now. And we try to poke holes in this thing and we try to, we, you know, ground it in an, an objective understanding. But I think what we're dealing with here is even stranger than we can suppose. And as you say, you know, gold 2.0 is a nice narrative, you know, sounder money for the world is a nice narrative, all 1% of, of what's actually happening. And I think a, a genuine transformation of, people of human beings will be the result of this thing being distributed and widely used over what period of time i'm not sure i i think you know probably even after the world is on a bitcoin standard but i keep coming back to what i'm seeing in the people that under are beginning to understand and are beginning to engage and use bitcoin you know primarily from you know interactions and in twitter and on podcasts and stuff like that i think that gives us the clues to what kind of a culture will emerge on top of this thing. And I'm amazed at the kind of impact and the speed at which that impact uh, changes people, you know? So I, I've, I've spoken to people that have been in Bitcoin since 2011, and I've spoken to people that got in in, in mid 2020. And just to hear the stories of how understanding and engaging this thing has changed their perspective radically on so many different things, in a manner that they universally deem is beneficial. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's one of the hallmarks is that it's super humbling. You know, you're now kind of in the presence of a change and a thing that's creating that change, 
that you cannot understand, but that you, that you know is incredibly meaningful and, and is a tool to use for the improvement of your life and the improvement of the broader structure of the society that you're in. And that's really humbling. And I think that's why there's such a hunger for trying to understand it, because you don't want to take that arrogant or hubristic position where like, okay, I get it. It's gold 2.0, bounce out my portfolio, sharp ratio, whatever. You, 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 there's just this sense that you're like, this is way bigger than I'm, I'm capable of comprehending right now. So I, I want to try to push my understanding into as many different nooks and crannies of this thing as I can. And the only way to do that is to talk to people, learn from people, read the books, you know, quiet contemplation, whatever your process is to try to get a sense for how meaningful this thing is. And, and that's why we're so lucky to have the great writers that we have in the space and the great speakers and all the great books and articles and, and stuff like that, because they help us gain insight into what this thing actually is, because it's still very much ill-defined, I think, even in the minds of the most convicted, you know, bulls out there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Great point. And um, we're going to kind of wrap it up. But I, I think uh, that was that was kind of a great point to kind of transition to just um, the hope, right? So we obviously started talking about a lot of problems and, and the world's messed up and it's easy to be super scared. And, and on top of that, not just the problems that we have, but we have some leaders, you know, the World Economic Forum telling us by 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, right? So there's definitely people that have that agenda for us. And that's, that's very scary. And a lot of times, you know, maybe people are like an ostrich with their head in the sand or whatever it may be. But the reality is, and I like to just remind people that if that's not the future you want, then that's not the future you should have. And you should be working towards bringing a different future, the future you have. And uh, now people have a tool, right? So it's like, it's easy to be frustrated when there's, you don't see an option. And I'm in America, I'm a set, I'm a strong second amendment supporter, and I have a lot of guns, but I don't ever want to use those. That's the last thing I ever want to do. But now we actually have a real tool. And so uh, I think it's encouraging uh, seeing people coming and, and even just encouraging knowing that there's something actionable that, that people can do. Yeah, I mean, I'm with everyone on the frustrations that the current world circumstances uh, cause me to feel, you know, and I've got to remind myself on a daily basis not to engage in the frustration and not to engage in the mudslinging and just to focus on the solution. Because you know, we, we referenced the sovereign individual maybe before we started recording, but um, that book kind of elucidates the fact that it's the technological changes and the technological innovation that emerge on the world that are the primary cause for the shifts in the structure of governance and, and the, you know, the quote unquote logic of violence that basically limits people's degree of freedom, right? So instead of and, and I think a lot of people know this in their own lives. That like, if you try to persuade them of an opinion you hold, that's a very difficult thing to do yeah. because they're grounded in their own perspective and worldview. But if you engage in a solution that's positive, that enhances your life, that benefit is apparent to people. And I think yeah. that's what causes them in their own mind to say, what's going on with that person over there? Like, they seem happy. They seem successful. They seem like they're engaged. Like, those are things that people are attracted to. And I think that they're curious about, and that's the thing that will lead them to place on pause their own, you know, perspectives and their own opinions and dip their toes in the water and see what else might be there. And so, you know, I, I totally agree. Bitcoin is a weapon of freedom um, and it's a peaceful weapon of freedom. And it's one unlike that we've ever had before 
that I think if we're right, fixes a lot of the systemic issues that a lot of us have been identifying and that frustrate a lot of us. So, you know, I think that's, that's the way forward here. Don't get mired in the quicksand of the, the, the political arguments du jour or the social problems. Engage in what the emerging solution is. Engage that community or, or the, the people in that community that are thinking in a similar way, whose mind is on a hopeful future, a positive future, a better future. And do that both for the betterment of your own circumstances and for the broader picture. And I think if we all take that upon ourselves to improve ourselves, engage in things we believe are meaningful uh, and engage with people that, you know, we think are good and doing good work. If we all do that, we're going to wind up with a better world at some point in the future. And that's probably the quickest way to get there. So, you know, that that's what I've been doing. And um, it seems like that's what you've been doing and a lot of other people in the Bitcoin space. And that's what's so exciting about what's happening. Great. Well, that's uh, that's that's a great note to end on. A great uh, great message of hope. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up with that. Um, so hopefully everybody uh, saw the problem, but now they see a solution. And I think, like I said, once you once you once, you know, human nature is like uh, we. I, I feel like humans need like that goal to like a, a carrot to chase sort of a thing. And so now everyone has that that carrot. So uh, great great time, John. I appreciate you uh, taking the time and, and talking with us today. I'm gonna make sure that we're gonna link your podcast in the show notes down below because it's great and everyone should be paying attention to that and subscribing. Uh, anything else that you want to plug? Anything else coming up or that you're working on? Uh, no, man. I just appreciate uh, you having me on. Appreciate the chat, and I look forward to doing it again sometime. Cool, John. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care. All right.